Okay, so here today, we're talking about uh, community. And so this week, next week, uh, because we're also tying this in with the idea that we have life group signups coming up on the 7th and the 14th. And so all of our groups that are currently meeting or maybe some new groups that are starting to meet, uh, they'll be out in Conference Room A next week and the week after uh, with the ability for you to get connected within a group of people. And so we're gonna take uh, these next two weeks to kind of just talk about what it means uh, for us to be in a community of believers uh, together. And so if you've ever been in community, uh, you know what it's like. If you've, uh, or if you've never been in community, you don't know what it's like. If you've been in community, you know what it's like. And it comes with its own challenges. Maybe you've faced your own challenges with maybe even stepping into a community or have challenges just being in the community. But my prayer is that through these next couple weeks, we would take time to be prayerful about what that means. What is the design of community? How can we reflect back on what God called us to do and how can we take action on that? So community does a couple of different things. First thing community provides is a place for you to be known, a place that prevents isolation. The other thing that happens in community is accountability for believers. Uh, and then another thing that community does, and I think the greater part of this, is it helps us to grow together as a body in Christ. And we'll talk about what that means for us today. But for you and your prayer time over these next few weeks, I want you to ask God a few things. What community do you need me in, God? Are there people that I need to reach to bring them into my community? What is that, if I'm not in one, what does that even look like for me? You know, like we said, one thing we have is life groups. It's a small group. It's opportunities for people to come together consistently to know more about God, but far more than just knowing about God, how to grow together and, and to take those next steps toward Jesus together. In fact, at Life Church, we say uh, our, our vision statement is to get out of rows in the circles because we're here together as a body of believers. We're, we're assembled and we're, we're here to learn and to grow deeper in, in how we know God, but greater than just that, when you're here today and when you come to church in general, how are we looking to our neighbors to seek that community with them, for them, or, or, or what does that look like? So I'm gonna challenge you to think about what community means. I'm gonna challenge you to think about if it's a group of 20 people through a small group setting. I'm gonna challenge you to think about maybe it's just two people that I know I need that can help hold me accountable. Maybe it's walking alongside someone else because what community does at the end of the day, its purpose is discipleship. Discipleship doesn't necessarily happen here on a Sunday morning. This is a hub. This is where disciples gather. This is where we come together. However, the church doesn't stop Sunday. It continues on throughout the week. And to make disciples, we have to gather consistently outside of this gathering to reach people. This is a step in that process. The pinnacle where we want everybody to go, that's community. And once you've experienced it, and you know what community does for you, and you know the design behind it, you should be encouraged to go back and bring someone else on this journey with you into community. And so that's my hope that we could uh, pray through that over the next few weeks and figure out whatever that means uh, for you. But a uh, few barriers before we get into scriptures today. Right now, we're in this, I call it post-holiday. I know today's like New Year's Eve or whatever. How many of you are actually staying up till midnight? Wow, I'm shocked. Mike, no way. Ain't no way. <laughs> anyway, if you're staying up tonight, right, like it, it, we're in this holiday season, but I'm calling it post-holiday season because when I talk with people and when I meet with people, it's around this time of the year where what, what you hear is this. I'm alone. I don't have anybody else. I don't know what to do. I'm struggling with this thing. These thoughts are in my head. I have no one to talk to about them. I sit and I wallow and I don't know what else to do. 
this past week was pretty cool. I had an opportunity to talk with the doctor um, and she looks at this holistic approach to how to help someone um, heal and recover and take care of themselves. What's interesting is not only does she look at your one problem, she looks at your lifestyle. And there's two things that she asks. Number one is when you're, when you're being diagnosed with whatever, she'll ask where you are in your faith journey. Where's your, what spirituality do you have? Like you have a faith, right? Obviously for us as believers in Christ, that's one thing that she mentions is foundational to the recovery of someone to get better, whether it's mentally or physically. The other question she asks is who's around you? What kind of people are you surrounded by? Because people tend to be products of their environment. We are a product of the people that we're around. And so as believers, you have to ask yourself, am I around the right people? Am I around people willing to help me live a better, healthier lifestyle? Because as the approach to community is, we know this, everybody, and Mike says this all the time, wears a sign that says, make me feel important. That's not wrong. Everybody wants to feel valued. Everybody wants to feel loved. Everybody wants to feel known. So how are we looking to other people that are wearing this sign and bringing them in, especially when it comes to isolation? Because as the prescription of a doctor would be, you need to get yourself around people. When I meet with people, this is sadly true too. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's an individual or whoever it is, when someone's isolated, when they're alone, they feel the attacks of the enemy. They know they need to get it back into community. They just don't know where to start. I'll ask him three questions myself. How are you hearing from God? Meaning, are you, are you in the word? Are you reading scripture so he can speak to you? Are you talking to him? Which is, are you, you know, how is your prayer life? Do you, do you pray? Do you talk to God? And then the other thing is, what, and I don't ask it because of numbers, but I say, are you attending church? And this isn't just like one of those things is missing. Typically, all three of those things are missing in the person who's isolated. But you know what the prescription is? Those things. And it's not just to throw all these habits into one big jar and say, do all of this stuff. It's saying you've got to start somewhere to get yourself to the place where you can be surrounded by people so you can feel known, so you can feel valued, and so you can feel important. So that's one of our barriers. The other thing is, it's how many people in here like to make new friends? One, two, three. Maybe four, five, six. Not that many people. Like Christians, we don't like to make new friends. Wow. I, I said at first service, I think I got myself in trouble. I don't like to make new friends either. So you're not alone. So talking to myself here a little bit too, but like nobody wants to just put themselves out there and just make a whole new friendship and say, hi, I'm Taylor. Here's who I am. Because <laughs> that's probably gonna scare people away. That's hard. That's a barrier. It's challenging to go up to new people, especially in a setting like today and say, I don't know why I feel like I wanna come and tell you, like, this is my name and this is about me and I wanna get to know you. They might run away, like, that's, that's a barrier. The other thing is this. What about people who maybe have been in a group but been hurt by a group? Trust issues? I've already been in a group of people. I know this story. You're telling me to do it again. Why would I do it? This is what happened. My prayer is that you wouldn't let that be a barrier to do what God designed you to do, that people who have hurt you won't affect your relationship with God because that's not his intentions and that's not his design. And the other thing is this, and we talked about this perfectly transitioning from Eve Eve. You can be right now with people, with your family, and still feel incredibly alone. You can still feel completely isolated, but have those people around you. So the question is, is that the right group of people to be around? That you can step into a group and slip away and they'll never know. 
What we need in community is to hold one another accountable. What we need in community is to feel loved and to feel valued. So today we're going in uh, to 1 Corinthians um, chapter three. But before we get into 1 Corinthians chapter three, I want to be reminded that if you're in a group right now, this is the other side of the coin. You might feel isolated. You might feel alone over here. You might know what to, not know what to do to take your next steps. But on the other side, there's people who are already existing in their circles, in their communities. They have their people. On this side of the coin, you know what we have to remember? You had to start somewhere too. So think about if you've been in a community that, that builds one another up, that cares for one another, that's there for one another, that, that protects, that prays for, that you know, surrounds, if you've experienced that, we have to remember as believers that we need to go share that with someone else. Like it's our duty to bring more and more people in because if you're in a group right now and the whole purpose of being in the group is just because they're people that I like, you might be missing the point of what God's design for discipleship was. So it's a challenge to us as believers to say, are we effectively opening up spaces to bring people in and disciple them? Not necessarily just into your group. It's okay to have a core group of people. But is your group living on mission? Are you living on mission to be with people to help them take their next steps towards Jesus? So 1 Corinthians chapter three, we're gonna start in verse one. Paul's addressing the church in Corinth. And it'll be up on your screens if you don't have a Bible. There it is. 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse one says this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So first line right here, he's addressing this church that he planted and he's telling them what? He says, but I, brothers, we'll use brothers and sisters for us today. He says, but I, brothers, I'm sharing something with you. How many of you have a perfect relationship with your brother or your sister and they've never told you something that you don't wanna hear? Same with first service. Everybody's got perfect siblings. I don't. I've been told things by my siblings, people closest to me, maybe even if you don't have siblings, people closest to you, typically siblings though, are not shy to tell you how they feel about you. If you have kids, you know that they're not shy about telling each other how they feel about each other. But guess what? Well, we say this in our house, but they're your blood, like you gotta figure it out. You love each other, right? When Paul writes to the church, he says, brothers, it's a deeply knitted relationship. It's more than just a superficial like, hey, you're just a general group of people that believe in the same things as me. So these are probably some important things that you need to understand. He's like, no, listen, hey, brothers, here's something. You're acting like infants right now. To the people that he brought to, he brought the message of salvation to them. He's addressing them like this. Think about right now where you're at. People sitting in this room, believers, you know what we are? We're brothers, we're sisters in Christ. But how truthful is that? How many of you would actually lay your life down for the person sitting next to you? How many of us even know who's sitting next to us right now? So we're brothers and sisters, and we know that. But as a church, do, you, do we really think that we're living as if we're brothers and sisters? Are we holding one another accountable to the standard which God has set because we're brothers and sisters? Because when brothers and sisters tell you things you don't wanna hear, it's a hard pill to swallow. But brothers and sisters have a deepened kind of love. It doesn't just need words to prove that I love you. It takes action. When Paul's talking about being brothers, he's saying that I'm not just here to correct you and just tell you my opinion of you. I'm gonna tell you something and we're gonna figure out this journey together. I'm gonna walk with you. Brothers, right? 
He goes on then in verse two through three, and this is where he really, I think, gets at him here. First Corinthians chapter three, verse two, here we go. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Think about this. this is, imagine if we as a church got a letter from Paul and he said this about us. You'd be like, oh my gosh. He says, you were drinking milk. I gave you milk. When he's talking about milk and solid food, it's not about how much more of the Bible or how much more just about Jesus they learned. It's about how they're maturing as Christians. He says, I left you with milk and you're still not eating solid foods. And even now you're not ready for the solid food. So what is that? You see, milk is something that's already processed for you. It's already taken care of. It's easier for us to consume it. For Paul, what he brought to the church to set it up in Corinth was milk, which was the message of salvation. The message of salvation is milk. You don't have to process it. You don't have to do anything about it other than accept what Jesus did for you. That's, that's something that most people receive, the gift of salvation, the message of salvation. What people struggle with is now once you've drank the milk, how do you eat solid foods? What is solid foods? You see, reading the Bible or telling a, telling a Christian, hey, these are the things that you should do. That's just milk. That's just suggestions. That's what scripture says. It's already done for you. Eating solid foods means you're gonna probably have to go through some challenges to grow up, meaning you're probably gonna have to do some hard things to grow up. You're gonna have to spend time one-on-one -on -one with God in order to hear from him, and you're gonna have to hear from his people on how to be held accountable to what he's telling you. And you maybe heard this example before, and everybody has at least seen someone holding a baby, but when you hold a little infant and you hold them in your arms and you're giving them the bottle, everybody gets that baby voice in, the goo-goos and gagas, and starts talking to a baby. It's so cute. It's a natural design, right? Like, we know that. Well, if you have your own kids or you've raised kids or you've seen it, when you wean a baby from the bottle to solid food, it's messy. So like we did what's called baby-led weaning. So when our kids were young, well, they're still young, but when they were babies, we would provide the food for them. We'd cook it, cut it up into little pieces and set it on the tray and we'd sit back in hopes that they were gonna chew it. They were gonna put their hands out there. They're gonna put it in their mouth, not throw it. But they're gonna do all those things in the process, right? We've got videos upon videos, especially of our firstborn. Like, I don't know why, every time she ate, I just recorded it, but covered. And she loved million dollar spaghetti. If you've never had it, try it. It's really good. But like, that was her favorite meal. Almost every day she could eat spaghetti, million dollar spaghetti specifically. And this kid was covered head to toe. And I remember when I was first a parent, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a mess. I'm tired of the high chair. I'm tired of cleaning it up. I'm tired of figuring this out. So at what point is she gonna learn how to eat clean? And that's me. That's my immaturity. That's my frustrations. My wife, you know, bless her heart. She's like, she's literally one year old. Like, don't worry about it. But I have to, I have to help like my daughter, right? Learn how to eat. You know, baby led weaning helps them learn on their own, but you're there to supervise because you know I'm not feeding you a bottle for the rest of your life. Makes sense. Don't need to talk about it anymore. But what we know is this, even though it's messy and we know that's the developmental phase of raising a kid from milk to solid food, we're completely content in the church with the same thing. In fact, we're, we're really content with feeding people milk. What we miss is the weaning process. What we don't wanna deal with is the weaning process. Because guess what? It's still messy. And guess what? 
Do you have grace for someone who's not understanding how to do it? Do you have grace for someone who doesn't know how to mature in their faith? Are you willing to help show them? Or are you just like, hey, when are you gonna figure this out? I don't understand why you can't do, you know what I mean? Like parents have to supervise those kids, but as Christians, how are we holding one another accountable to that weaning? Because you know it's not cute when adults still drink out of a bottle. Think about, I mean, seriously, think about this. If, you, if, you have, if you're a kindergartner and you went up to your teacher and you said, I need my bottle now, that teacher should probably be like, no, you don't. You're old enough to not have that. That's a little weird. Don't hate, if you, I don't know. If you had a kid in kindergarten still on a bottle, I'm sorry. In high school, if you see a kid at a table, pulls out his bag, bottle, and he starts drinking it, you'd be like, that kid needs to see a counselor. That's not normal. If an adult had a baby and was walking around drinking their own bottle while their baby's still in the bottle, you'd be like, I'm worried about that child's future. In our faith, that doesn't bother us, though. We're perfectly content in the church today giving someone a bottle and saying, hey, that's fine. Hey, you said yes, cool. You'll figure it out. We want nothing to do with the process. We want nothing to do with the mess. Greater than that, we won't even do what Jesus told us to make disciples to help that person learn how to eat solid food. We don't want to deal with it. That's not my problem. That's, that's not my journey. That's theirs. The design was for you to help these people learn how to take in solid foods. Solid foods are how people learn how to, how to talk to God, how to pray, how to evangelize, how to do all of these things, how to take action. The only way we can do that is being around other people. So when we talk about holding one another accountable and we talk about spiritual maturity, this is why I think we, we lack in, in the church today. Yeah, I know you gotta hold people accountable. You gotta help them grow up. But here's the problem with accountability. Number one, you have to actually want to be held accountable. And before that, you really need to know what you're being held accountable to. Like if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know what that even means. Like, What does accountability mean? In the totality of what we're saying, it's spiritual growth. Like being held accountable to grow up in Christ. Not just your hangups. Not just the things that you have addictions uh, with. But like accountability. You have to want it. The problem is people will say, hold me accountable, but they don't want to be held accountable. People will say, hey, listen, I'm struggling with this. Here's where it's at, but they don't want to do anything different in their life. So you can't hold them accountable. And here's the other thing. I think this is the greater part. We don't hold other people accountable because we're afraid of what they're going to tell us. Like, I'm worried what that person might say about me. That's part of the design. If a brother or sister loves you enough, they're gonna tell you something you don't wanna hear. You know why they're telling you? Because they love you. And you know what that means? They care about your growth. They care about you. But as believers, we'd rather just not talk about it. Anybody here been corrected before by someone you love, especially in your faith journey? Yeah? I'm sure you were like, thanks, brother. Appreciate you, man. Right? Yeah, that's how it goes, right? That's Christianity, the perfect world. Everybody's happy. Say whatever you want to me. I'm cool with it. I got some thick skin, right? No, what happens is we do what's easiest in those moments. Hey, I, I recognize this about your lifestyle, man. I know you're struggling with this. You've told me this. So how can I help you on your journey? How can I be a part of your life? You hear that? You're like, I don't want to deal with that right now. 
And you know what we do? We don't go back to those groups of people. We don't want to go back to that relationship. We don't want anyone to hold us accountable because that group made me feel this way. They think that about me, shame on them. They don't know what I'm going through. It's easier to walk away from the challenges. It's easier to walk away from the adversity. But that doesn't challenge us to grow. That that doesn't bring any growth. And then guess where we put ourselves? Back into a pool by ourselves where we're isolated and we're hurt and we're sitting here saying, I don't know why I can't grow in my faith. I don't know why I can't do this. And then we'll sit on our hands and we'll point fingers and we'll, we'll, we'll make complaints even about everybody else's walk. We'll look to the world and say, man, I can't believe the state of this world. I can't believe people believe this way. I can't believe that it's just this, it's a mess. And really, the mess is happening right here. And we're not willing to address it. And we're not willing to hold one another accountable to say it's not about the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You as a believer are the one that needs held accountable to grow. Are you putting yourself in those positions for growth? Proverbs 27.6 says this. It's not gonna be on your screen, but I had to read this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We would rather have kisses than wounds. It's easier. We don't wanna hear the hard stuff. We don't wanna do the hard things. I'd rather you just tell me what's gonna make me feel better, encourage me that way. Friends, that's not love. There are too many relationships where people love one another and they enable poor behaviors, poor development, poor growth. Because it's easier to not talk about some things and just leave it in a room Anybody have those relationships or see people that do that? Like, this person is struggling and you know it, but it's easier just to be like, yep, I'm gonna leave that there because I don't wanna get involved. Or maybe you think you're involved by only helping them do the things or, or taking care of tasks for them. Never hold them accountable. That's not, that's not love. If you go to Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four, verse uh, 11 through 16, it says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That says, all of it. We don't need to dive too far into it, but to be reminded of this, collectively, we as believers are the body of Christ. We are many members in one body. What we forget or what we never search for is what is our role in the body? We say this a lot. We say, yeah, everybody's unique and everybody's different. Well, what makes you unique and what makes you different? And how are you helping the body? Because if you were designed for a purpose, which we believe you're unique in what you can do versus what someone else can do and the way God made you. What is your design in the body? Because if you're doing that 
and you know your role, you're helping the effectiveness of another member. You're helping out someone else in the body. If you don't know your role or you don't believe you have a purpose, you know what you do? You affect the rest of the body. And now it has to pick up what you're not doing, right? This is the analogy here. So how can we work effectively as a body? It says two things that you can do. Hold people in truth and in love. They go hand in hand. If you truly love someone, you would tell them the truth. You wouldn't sweep things under the rug. You wouldn't just forget about the mess and say, I don't want to deal with it. That's up to them. If you love someone, you're going to tell them the truth. And the other thing is you can't tell the truth if you don't love them. It's back and forth. They go hand in hand. It's like a candle that just is light with no warmth. Like it doesn't make any sense. So if we want to love people, we have to tell them the truth. And when you tell people the truth, you know what it is? It's challenging. It's hard. You have to do hard things sometimes. We don't want to push people though. We fear they'll walk away. I have a story to share about my daughter um, because she gives me a ton of examples, surprisingly. But last year uh, was her first preschool play. It was a Christmas play. And if you know our daughter, she's incredibly shy and she doesn't like people and uh, she doesn't know how to cry. So she just hyperventilates when she gets nervous. And, and by hyperventilating, I mean, it's like this really sad cry. Like there's nothing she can do to catch her breath. It's so sad. We go to the school play last year. She's up on stage. She got selected for um, solo, which is where she was gonna read scripture all by herself. And Erica and I were like, oh, okay. Like this is gonna be interesting. We have no clue what to expect. So we're there and we're watching her. She steps out. She comes to the front of the stage, says her line of scripture perfectly. And we're like, yeah, Ren. And she walks back and she turns around and sees us and just loses it. She starts like, <laughs> and she's doing all the little hand motions while she's crying, finishes out the play. And afterwards I was like, what happened? You were doing so good. She was like, well, you guys were making fun of me. And she thought our encouragement was making fun of her when we were like, look at her, like, you know, taking videos and pictures. She felt that. And so this year, play came up again. We were like, uh-oh. <laughs> we know how last year went. We'll see how this year goes. So I, I made it a point, like a week out, I was like, we're gonna hype her up. We're gonna make her excited. She's gonna go in. She's got this. And a lot happened to my daughter in a year. Like she grew up to this teenager, even though she's four. And I remember telling her, I'm like, all right, sis, play's coming up. How do you feel? She's like, uh, I'm brave. I'm fine. <laughs> like, okay. Well, all right, you're brave now. And she was like, yeah, we've been practicing a lot and I'm standing next to Owen. I was like, oh, all right, my bad. I didn't know that, I didn't know that was gonna help you. And I was like, are you sure you're gonna be okay? She was like, yeah. Duh. The morning of, I take her to school. I'm in the car. I say, all right, any tips, instructions? Like, we're just having a conversation. She goes, yeah, dad, don't smile. Or don't, don't laugh, just smile and do small waves and sit in the back. So, okay. Very specific. You've thought about this. So we go to the play that night, drop her off. Everything's fine. She's with her friends. All of our family, we sit in the very back. Kids come out from the lobby and turn around, just as instructed, little waves. Just a smile. Beelines it for my wife. Runs out of the line of all the kids going to the stage, just runs to Erica, clings on to her. And then she starts doing her hyperventilating cry thing. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> poor girl. And what Erica did, she takes her out into the lobby. I follow. One of the teachers comes out. Grandma's come out. We're sitting around Rin. And the teacher's like, all right, mom, dad, what do we want to do? Instead of being like, oh, poor Rin, she just can't do it. Oh, well, we'll try again. 
My wife's awesome. I was like, take her, go, now, she's fine, she'll be okay. Erica was like, you know, like she, she kind of pries ran off of her, she looks at her and she's like, you know, you're gonna have to do some hard things in life sometimes. And I know you don't wanna do this, but I need you to go out, I need you to at least try it, okay? And Ren's like, no, like, can she say no? So Erica's like, gave her to the teacher, teacher walks her out, the rest of the play, finishes the whole thing while she's crying, doing the hand motions. And I remember, Part of the reason she did the play was because I told her she'd get a doll if she did it. So that's on me. But when we're going to Walmart after the play, I remember we're walking in the parking lot. She's holding my hand. And she was like, Daddy, aren't you so proud of me? And I was like, I'm actually incredibly proud of you. And she was like, yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty brave. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know where she gets that from. And so get her her doll. And I just remember thinking, this, this, kept bringing into my brain, like, isn't that like community though? Like you need, sometimes you need people around you to tell you like, you know what? You're going to have to step up and you're going to have to do something you don't want to do right now. You've got to grow up a little bit. You're going to have to try something that's hard and we're going to learn from it. We're going to learn from it together. But the other thing is like, we keep saying accountability, 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 do hard things. But the other side of this is we get to celebrate with those people when they are willing to step up and do the hard things and be like, you know what? I am proud of you. I know that was challenging. I know it would have been way easier just to go home and just ignore it and not do anything. But you stepped up and you did something that I know wasn't natural for you. That on your own, you could not accomplish it. But together, you're willing to hear from us and I'm proud of you. Everybody wants that. Nobody wants the challenging part of it though, but they go hand in hand. In the group setting, that's what we do with one another. Yes, we challenge. Yes, we're brothers and sisters, but guess what? I love you too. I wanna be in this with you. I'll take the mess because this is what God called me to do. He called me into this role. I had this coach one time too. He was, oh, harsh. You walk into practice and you just knew, you're like, we're just gonna get screamed at for like two hours. He is never pleased with anything we do and you would get on the line to start practice to get ready for your warmups and you're like, everybody, like act up, like get, get focused, I don't want to deal with it today because he didn't care about beating you and running you and all this stuff. There was like this fear. Every time you stepped out in the court, you're like, I don't want to screw up because I don't want to hear from him. When he was getting ready to leave, he sat us all down in a room. And he was like, you guys know why I yell at you? And we're like, nope. Nope, don't know why. He's like, because I love you all. He's like, I'm hard on you and I push you because I know I can develop you into the player that you know. You don't know that you can be, but I know that you can be. I push you. I challenge you. I test you. He's like, it's when I go quiet that you need to worry. And I remember for like the first time in my life, this has stuck with me ever since. I was like, oh, you were pushing me because you cared about me. In our relationships, not that you need to tell everybody your opinion about their lifestyle, but are you willing to sit down with someone and help push them, but show them that love on the backside, right? That was my role. That was his role. And this is what we learn in the rest of this passage of scripture. First Corinthians chapter three again verses four through eight. It says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to 
his labor. So you have to remember, inside of the body of Christ, inside of the body of believers, being content with the role that God gave you. It's not necessarily the role that's comfortable, but it's where he needs you. It's where he called you to be. The context of this passage is that Paul plants the church in Corinth, and he doesn't stay there until he dies. He plants the church. Apollos comes in, called by God, to continue on this mission so Paul can go somewhere else and raise up more disciples and plant more churches. Apollos wasn't worried that he wasn't the founding pastor of the church in Corinth. And Paul wasn't worried that those seeds that he planted, that he didn't get to watch them grow up in their faith and achieve all these things. Paul's like, I planted. Apollos watered. We're together. The problem is, is we're not content with where God's called us today. So we'll never find peace. We would rather say, well, I would rather water. I don't want to plant, but you know God's called you to plant. Like, I don't want to deal with that. Or maybe the other side of it, you want to watch those people grow, and they're not. You have to remember this. You're not in charge of someone else's growth. You're not in charge of someone else's decision to say yes. You're not responsible solely for the maturing of another believer. What you're responsible for is the environment in which you place them in. Meaning the spaces that you open up, the invitations and the places that you bring them to, the soil, that's what you're responsible for taking care of. No farmer in here. You could do everything you want when you plant your crops, right? You can plant the seed, you can water it, you can add all this other stuff to it. But if big life events like rain don't happen, crops not growing, you can't cause rain, you can water, obviously. But God's the one responsible for the miracle of a seed turning into a healthy crop. In our faith, when someone comes into our groups or into the communities that we're in, even ourselves, we don't get to choose how fast that person will mature, yet we try to do that. We have an issue with control. We have an issue with making sure that this person is going to grow. You're responsible for your role and your role alone. It's not up to me to make that person, it's not up to me to make this person say yes. Because when you do that, you know what happens? The vicious cycle. You just push someone to make a decision they weren't ready to make. When they stop maturing, you give up on them. That person walks out of your group. Now they're wondering again. They're hurt by the church and they don't understand who Jesus is. We have to be willing to understand the people that God has placed in our life and our role within that. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I'm gonna end with this. As I was meeting with all these groups of people uh, this past few weeks, because uh, we're getting ready again for life groups, I'm just, I'm hearing stories that are just encouraging. But in every encouraging story from these groups and from these leaders, you know what I'm hearing? These are the challenges that we're facing. And I understand it's frustrating. When you reach out to people for accountability, like that's, that's where do you start? When you join a group and you, and you wanna know more about Christ and you wanna take more action in your faith, like where do you, what do you do? What if you feel ill-equipped? How are you gonna help someone mature if you don't know? So as I'm talking with this group, they're like, hey, listen, we've got all kinds of different people in our group and we don't know, how do we, how do we level the playing field? They started based on going to one form of community, became friends, and said, now let's go and let's start our own group of people. It's awesome. Until it gets messy. Until you don't know what to do. Until you feel like you're failing people. What we were reminded of in that conversation, I think we would take away this. You're not responsible for making them grow. You're responsible for that environment that you offer them. Yeah, you're gonna have people in your groups and your communities that are 
they're needy. You're gonna have people who are bold. You're gonna have people who don't know anything about the Bible. You're gonna have people who know everything about the Bible. You know, the common ground within being in community is that every person needs Jesus. And every person is maturing in Christ. And you do that through the body in love and in truth. So as this group is talking about their hangups and as this group is talking about their struggles and the things they're going through, it's like, forget the small things. Forget this specific instance. Go back to the heart of what discipleship is in the first place. You gotta know people. Once you get to know people, then you can help them take their next step. And when people know that you're willing to take that next step with them, you help them mature. When you plant those seeds with them, when you help them, you, you show them how to water. But in that process, you know what we can also miss. While we're helping other people grow, you're growing too. When you're challenged and you're stretched, you're growing. God will put people and opportunities right in front of you. It's up to us to be stewards with them. It's up to us to know our role, to spend time trying to figure out what that looks like. That's again, that's my challenge this week. I want you to pray about what that looks like. Who does God need to put in front of you to reach them? Ask him. God, put those people in front of me. I know, I, know, I wanna reach out to more people. I wanna help disciple, mentor, hold people accountable. I want those people. I wanna be on mission for you. Or maybe you need to seek someone. I want you to pray for something similar. I want you to ask God to put someone in your life that can hold you accountable. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's a community, whatever that is for you. I pray that you'd be diligent in asking God to put those people in your life so that together as a church, we can grow and mature into Christ. So will you please stand so I can pray for you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together in your name. As an assembly of believers, we can go take this message into the world, into the people that we need and that you're, that you're putting in our life right now, Lord. We pray that there would be no fear in reaching out or asking for help and that everybody would be able to seek community founded in you so we can grow together and we would watch this growth and we would be encouraged by this growth. That everybody would have a sense of belonging, even though it's challenging. Give us the ability to remember, you've given us your spirit to go before us, to live within us. So we thank you for the idea of community, that you designed us to never be alone. That even when we don't have people, we have you. So I pray for strengthening of relationships, that people would make new relationships, that we would see souls saved and, and the developing of your people, God. I pray that as we're, we're sitting this week and we're praying about these things, you would reveal that to us. Who do I need to invite or who do I need to ask? Who do I need to seek so that I can seek you every day? We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.